Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. So those of you who are regular listeners realize that I'm a day late in posting this podcast for the week. And I would chalk it up to adventures in technology. My modem went down. It took a great deal of time to assess that that was the problem. And in the new world of customer service, the technician doesn't automatically come to your home. They try to do everything remotely. And it took several phone calls and um, a lot of frustration on my part to assess the fact that the modem was broken, the new modem didn't come at the anticipated time. When I finally set it up, it did not work. And so the conclusion was what I knew from the very beginning, I needed a technician. And so that just happened. And so I am now recording this week's program, which will hopefully be posted before late today and I gotta tell you we are doomed if our technology goes out but then on a not so happy note we might be doomed anyway I'm just joking sort of last week I read a story a short story by Graham Greene a Catholic convert who like the rest of us struggled with his faith in his case the one he had adopted The short story is called The Hint of an Explanation. Every time I have read it, both privately and when I read it on this podcast last week, it has been a spark for me in a way that no theological treatise has been. Let me recapitulate the story for those who have not yet heard last week's podcast. Not so parenthetically. I have to say that I may have cut off my nose to spite my face with regard to this podcast because my main way of letting folks know about it was through Facebook. And as of last week, I have left Facebook and this time for good. I had to balance my desire to have this podcast heard, which I do. And so I will rely on those few of you who actually listen. It's not that few, but it's obviously not burgeoning. I'm not a, I don't know, who's the biggest podcaster now. I'm not those people. And uh, so it's not a huge number, but if folks do word of mouth, then I will have a sufficiency, enough to keep me enthusiastic beyond the material, which also has me being enthusiastic. So as to Facebook, I had to balance that desire to have this podcast heard against what I truly believe is a private tyranny, a company cooperating effectively with a political administration in censoring speech. I know lots of you may not agree, and that's okay. So anyway, it seems that last week I have had significantly less hits on the podcast. Well, so be it. Whether the podcast is a permanent fixture of my avocational life is up in the air, as all things in life are up in the air. Anyway, back to the story. It takes place on a train in England. Two men are in a compartment. It is a cold English night, and the train itself is cold and damp. 
The two strangers initially make the best of it separately, but after sharing a meal of stale buns bought at what would pass as a concession on the train, they begin to talk, all bundled up, against the seeping weather. They begin by talking about the trivial, but the conversation moves into the substance of religion. One of the men offers a story about the mystery of good and evil and about the nature of belief, the hints given to us to inspire belief, some hints perhaps more dramatic than others. He tells of being a young boy in a small English town, a Catholic in a place that doesn't much like Catholics. He is an altar boy. He knows the rubrics of the faith. He knows what the priest is and what he does, but it doesn't make all that much impact on him. It's like, you know, being a Catholic is like having brown hair, brown eyes, blue eyes, and I'm a Catholic. It's just part of his life, the mass, the liturgy, the bringing of the water and the wine to the priest and watching the movements that lead to the distribution of the Eucharist. There is a particularly unhappy man in the town of this boy, a baker, who really, really hates Catholics. But suddenly, he begins to address the boy and to invite him into his shop. The outer features of the man are as ugly as, we will find out, the interior of his soul. It's creepy stuff, but not of the kind that we in modern times would immediately conjure. The man cultivates the boy's interest in a train set that he owns, that the man owns, and once having so cultivated it, he offers a deal to the boy. You can have this train, but you must bring to me a consecrated host. You don't, do you, boy, really believe that your piece of bread is any different than any piece of bread that I would bake? And he even gives the boy a piece of bread that he has made. It's actually kneeling in the shape of an unconsecrated host. It tastes the same, the boy realizes. And the boy, as I said, knows his rubrics and comments that there is a difference, that the bread in church is consecrated. But the man pushes don't you really want this train? I just want to see about this other host. The man wants to be certain of the boy, so he makes a not-so-veiled threat in addition to the temptation by showing him a razor and letting him know that he will bleed him if he does not fulfill the deal. The boy is tempted and scared sufficiently to begin the process of desecration. He takes the host onto his tongue at the next mass. Remember, this is before our modern times of allowing the host in the hand. And then he quickly retrieves it from his mouth, wet and soft, and hides it in some newspaper and brings it home and places it on a chair. The baker has arranged to be under the boy's window to take it, just to see what it might be, he has told the boy. But in fact, his hatred of what it might be has increased. And so the boy, now scared, begins to take a real look at what? at whom is wrapped in the newspaper on his bedroom chair. As the baker whistles to the window in evil urgency, the boy comes to a realization, and he decides to consume the host, which is now stuck to the paper. So, in order to consume it, he has to do so by taking the paper with the host, and he tells the waiting thing, the baker, the devil in effect in the form of this man that it is gone the thing as graham graham calls it has been thwarted the boy 
has been saved from cooperating in an unholy act. The companion in the train is intrigued, but perhaps he is not sold on the truth of things. But when the teller of the story rises as their journey ends, the man's coat opens and the dress is that of a Catholic priest. He has been so motivated by this experience as a child that ultimately he came to such a firm belief and became a priest. I said that this story has been and remains a spark for me in a way that theological treatises aren't always for me. I wish, though, that the spark had led to a fire within me. It hasn't. I am still, much like the boy, aware of the rubrics that the transubstantiated host, still with the accidents of the appearance of bread, is in fact the incarnate God. But I don't act as if that were so. It's not just me. It's lots of Catholics. I've talked about this before on this program. I've assisted at baptisms, at funerals, at weddings, and just the, quote, ordinary mass, as if the mass could ever be ordinary. And I have watched my fellow travelers see only the appearance, and at that, with great casualness, treat the host. I've seen people come to mass just before the consecration and leave immediately after receiving, thoughtlessly. I have myself accepted him within me, and then gone on to a million other thoughts besides him. Why am I so personally focused on the need to have the kind of conversion moment that the boy had that made him become a priest in the story? There is a great battle in that story, the battle between the devil himself using another human being in his disbelief, his anger, his hatred, and the acolyte, the one who, without much thought, has been serving God, a child, literally, but like all of us, a child of God, that which was created good, but after the fall inclines toward evil, an inclination which the devil at every second exploits. Right now, in a different way in history, but just as certainly, there is a battle going on between ordinary Catholics like me and devilish temptations in the form of both our secular society gone insane and too many in the church leadership who prefer the society's interpretations of the good, which in no way relates to the dogmas and doctrines and teachings of the church they serve. Just this week, a confusion that just adds to the anxiety. The Pope, around September 17th, praised the President of Ireland as a man of God, a person who actually has advocated Ireland into another abortion kingdom. The incongruities these days are so powerful, the implicit and explicit, you don't really believe in these things messages, just like that baker, that it becomes a matter of spiritual life and death to accept and hold firmly with all the obligations that in tales to the fact that the transubstantiated host is God. It is not enough to comprehend, albeit so imperfectly because we're human beings, the intellectual theological truth. If we, if I, do not take unto ourselves as an incontrovertible faith truth 
that the transubstantiated host is God, giving us real strength to avoid selling our souls, as the boy almost did, then none of the rest of our faith matters. Speaking for myself, there is no point at my being Catholic if this centrality is not firmly planted, not only in my mind, but in my soul, in my very guts. I don't know about you, but I am having to fight, particularly in these last couple of years, the sense of, uh, why bother? Without the Eucharist and the other sacraments, which are now pretty much dismissed, even within the church, I don't need the church. To me, then, none of us do need the church. It puts me in mind, again, of the comment of Flannery O'Connor, the shy writer, the shy Catholic writer at a dinner party given by the lapsed Catholic Mary McCarthy about whether the host, the Eucharist, is just a nice little symbol. And she said, one of the few things she apparently said at the dinner is, if it's just a symbol, then the hell with it. It doesn't take much to shake someone like me. This weekend, in addition to the other technological problems that, you know, they're not big problems in reality, but with everything going on in the world, there's so much pressure on all of us. And for me, an additional pressure was that one of my teeth is throbbing and I could not sleep last night at all. And I was in really, really significant pain. Hopefully I will call up the dentist tomorrow and go in. It's not as bad right now. In fact, I think well, my diagnosis is that the root is dying, so the pain is a little less. But last night, it was so much, and I, I even tried to pray. I tried to join my suffering to our Lord, and I couldn't get past a sign of a cross. That's it. That's all I could do. And mostly, I was just aware of the throbbing. There was no other thought. So how easy it is to turn me away from God and thoughts of God. I just read a biography of Thomas More, and probably Thomas More will be a focus next week. But one of the things he was, was very disciplined in training his, what he considered his frailty. So me, I have to focus these days on the one thing that is promised to be certain, that this host I receive is in fact Jesus Christ. And I have to hang on to him so that I don't, in one fateful act, throw him away and end up, well, in hell. Those are the stakes to the true believer. Am I a true believer? Not yet. This biography I read called Thomas More, A Portrait of Courage by Gerard Wegmer really intrigued me and I'd love to interview the author. Maybe I'll seek him out. I think he's at the University of Dallas and do a Zoom thing, and I can talk to him about maybe the comparisons of the time of Moore to today. But one of the things he talks about is the note that we all know, that to become a saint in a, quote, terribly imperfect world, while being terribly imperfect oneself, is the challenge for all of us. Right now, what I feel is utter resignation, nearly a despair about our society. It feels as if the terribly imperfect world is landing like a ton of bricks on our individual heads and on our collective heads. 
our upside-down society seems on the brink of collapse. I despair of the fact that so many people I have known and cared about don't see it, not at all. And then Catholics, people like me, come to a place where God is in the most extraordinary way, the most supernatural way, and we don't see him as he needs to be seen, as he must be seen if we are not to be ultimately lost. We, me, need to have a moment that takes, like the boy did, when the hint became solid that there is evil, and there, in our bodies and souls, we take in the good, that he becomes an armor, that he is the reason we act and resist evil. Instead, I have felt lost. I don't recognize my own society. The idea of objective truth has disintegrated in favor of the truth of the most influential and the most noisy, because now you can be most noisy with technological assistance. I don't recognize the faith of my childhood. There are days when I just as soon not get out of bed because the news of existence is just so bad. I have a relative who's a Jehovah's Witness. There is little we agree on theologically, but when we talked the other day, and she made mention of their apocalyptic sense of things, I, as you know, by the way, they, Jehovah's Witnesses used to predict the end of days. I don't know how, as we do not know the day or the hour per se, but still, she made mention of essentially apocalyptic things around us, and her mention of the end resonated with me. We also probably don't agree on how God exactly will put an end to things, but sure enough, we both know that he will. I think that the Catholic has a bit more faith as God could intervene right now as he did for Nineveh and not destroy us or allow for our destruction. But I can say that my cousin and I both see the utter of ending of the world with so many thinking it's mighty fine. So... I guess that the story I read last week becomes urgent to me because holding on and wanting not to give in to the powerful temptation to, as I've said before in these podcasts, walk away from the church, walk away from religion entirely, because it is, in the person of Jesus Christ, the Eucharist, the only solution despite appearances. Appearances are deceiving. That's one of the devil's tools. And perhaps as a kind of teaser to talking about this Thomas More book and Thomas More generally next week, and it has to do with the significance and importance of prayer and the way I see it, prayer that, in my case, keeps me focused on the reality of Christ in the Eucharist, sending me the graces, literally taking me in hand to give me the graces to persevere. This is what he says. I care not how long or how short your prayer is, but how effectual, how ardent, how interrupted and broken with sighs rather than drawn out at length with an endless number of words. As an aside, I can tell you, last night I didn't have any words. Going back to the section by Thomas More in the book Thomas More, A Portrait of Courage, he adds, if you love your health, if you desire to be secure from the snares of the devil, 
from the storms of this world, from the hands of your enemies, if you long to be acceptable to God, if you covet everlasting happiness, then let no day pass without at least once presenting yourself to God in prayer, falling down before him flat on the ground with a humble affection and a devout mind, not merely with your lips, but from the innermost recesses of your heart, crying out these words of the prophet, The sins of my youth and my frailties remember not, but in your mercy remember me because of your goodness, O Lord. Last night I was so aware of my frailties, and the temptation there is to say, well, I'm just so frail that it doesn't matter if I pray ardently or otherwise. It's a paradox that one should feel that way. You should want to go to God in those circumstances, but you don't. So, prayer, the Eucharist, prayer, the Eucharist. Keep focused on these to keep the faith. And then, of course, pray for the intercession of other humans who have achieved sainthood, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and many others. Keep me faithful, Lord. And when you receive the Eucharist next. Stop. Stop. Look. Feel. Sense. The substance of whom you are taking into your body and soul. And so ends another, a bit late, episode of ordinary old Catholic me. I'm on a lot of platforms. Podbean is the one that I use, but you can find me on Amazon. You can find me on Audacity. Not Audacity. (laughs) Audible. I get confused. There's so many of them. There's Odyssey, there's Audacity, there's Audible. There's so many different things. But I'm on also Audible, and I'm on TuneIn, and Amazon, I think, as well. So if you put in your Google space, Ordinary Old Catholic Me, this podcast should come up somewhere. And if you're enjoying it, please like it and comment. Offer some thoughts. It helps me focus, hopefully, to do programs that are really of use to you. So, see you next week. Hopefully, it'll be on the actual Saturday.